This is Castle Stories, a podcast from Newcastle Castle about the rich history of the North East. Hello, welcome to Castle Stories. I'm your host, David Silk. When it comes to people who lived in medieval England, I often feel that it can be quite hard for um, modern people to connect with them as real people. We do understand, obviously, that they were, but they exist almost as a set of undifferentiated stereotypes, I think, in many people's mind. You've got the knight in shining armour, the beautiful princess in her tower, the rapacious king eating a chicken leg and ordering a beheading and what have you. But perhaps there's no figure of the medieval period more fixed in people's mind than the peasant. Dirty, poor, covered in filth, dressed in what looks like a sack, and painfully stupid, uneducated, and downtrodden, the peasant is a symbol to many people of the repression of the Middle Ages. So, is this a true image of the medieval peasant? I think if you've listened to this podcast before, you can probably guess that I'm going to say no, given how much time we've spent trying to bust some of these medieval myths. So we'll get right down to it, and we're going to find out what life was really like for peasants. Let's begin with the word itself. No one in England in the Middle Ages would have called themselves or been referred to by anyone else as a peasant. The word is a convenient modern shorthand, really, for all the ordinary labourers, especially farm workers, who propped up the medieval feudal system by doing all of the actual work. The word is derived from the French paysant, meaning someone from the countryside. Ultimately, this comes from the Latin word pagus or pagus, meaning the rural areas around the major Roman cities. It's also where we get the word pagan. Early Christians, who tended to cluster in the urban areas, viewed the remaining worshippers of the various Roman gods as being sort of backwards hicks. So we can see to begin with that the word peasant has a kind of insulting uh, or pejorative sense. I am going to use it here occasionally in this episode, just for convenience's sake, but uh, really, it's a bit rude to call these people peasants. Uh, With that said, this is the case with words that were used to describe commoners in medieval times. One of the oldest of these kind of words is chiorl, which is an Anglo-Saxon term for a free farm owner, but which in Norman England came to mean something like an ill-mannered country bumpkin, hence churlish, the modern word. The Normans also brought with them their own terms for different social classes. After the Norman invasion, the most common social status in the English countryside was the villain, meaning something like a serf or a bonded labourer, and it's also where we get our word villain doesn't really have the same sense in uh, medieval times, but it is still an insult. To call somebody a villain is to call them sort of, you know, lowborn. It's to describe them as being a peasant. These different terms can also give us something of an idea of just how complicated the idea of social ranks and status could get in medieval times, even among so-called peasants. Because you weren't just a peasant if you weren't a knight or a noble. You were a villain, a cotar, a bordar, a franklin, a burgess, a dreng, a thane, a sergeant, a soakman, a neef, or a tithing man, among loads of other descriptors which describe really fine differences between people's social status at the bottom of that feudal heap. These names all describe differing levels of obligation that you have to your lord, as well as different rights that you have. Most importantly, whether you are free or unfree. Which brings us on to the thorny issue of slavery. It's really important to say that peasants were not slaves. Slavery did exist in Anglo-Saxon England, and before the Norman Conquest, perhaps up to a third of the population were slaves. They could be treated like animals by their masters, branded, castrated, mutilated, as a matter of course, with no real legal rights, as well as being forced to do most of the really heavy agricultural labour. 
but less than 100 years after the Norman Conquest, and slavery was a thing of the past in England. It was never officially banned, it just sort of died out, and was largely replaced with the famous feudal system that the Normans are known for. In this system, the people on the bottom of the heap, well, they're the peasants that we're talking about in this episode. So what's the difference between being an unfree peasant and a slave? Well, that's a more difficult distinction to make than you might think. From a modern point of view, a villain or other unfree peasant would seem very much like a slave, I think. They had to work on their lord's land for as much as three days a week without pay, could not leave their home or get married without their lord's permission. They even had to pay for the privilege of dying. When a villain died, their lord could claim heriot, a sort of death tax, in which the lord could take the best beast from the herd. This law, in fact, survived the Middle Ages. It was only finally abolished in England in 1922. But there were key distinctions between a villain and a slave. A lord could not kill, assault, or otherwise harm his villains with impunity because they were not his property. And although they were bound to the land, this gave them a certain security of tenure. The lord could not throw them off his land or sell them for profit or any of the other things that were regularly done with slaves. There is some evidence that some people preferred the security of rights and tenure granted by being a villain to the more precarious life of being a free peasant and paying rent. Villains also had various other legal rights, like the right to a trial by jury, and to some extent they organised and ran the villages that they lived in. Oh, villages. Villains, you see? That's uh, where we get the English word for village from, the mainstay of the English countryside. Lords often owned many manors, each with its own village, and they needed them to run themselves in their absence. So they normally had a reeve, a steward, a hay ward, and other kinds of managers who were promoted from among the villains who ran the estate. While each peasant family had their own garden for growing vegetables, and perhaps raising some chickens or a pig, the big fields for wheat and barley and the pasture land for the sheep and cattle were all common land. They were owned in common by everyone from the village and were all farmed in common. The fields for growing things like wheat, the, the cereal crops, were divided up into strips, and each villain family was assigned strips at random each year, so that the land wasn't concentrated in one set of hands, and no one had better farmland than anyone else. Everyone had an equal share of the, the number of strips in the field. 10% of all the crops grown were given to the church, which were kept in a tithe barn. In hard times, that could become a sort of charity food store for the peasants. Amazingly, manor courts run by the peasants could actually even fine their lord if they broke the rules of the social contract that they lived by. The villagers of Albury in Hertfordshire even sued their lord in the royal court for imprisoning them and taking their livestock at will. Nonetheless, you can see from the very fact that that happened that free status to be free of any lord was attractive. In 1086, when the Doomsday Book was compiled, nearly 60% of the population recorded in England were villains. But by the end of the 1300s, this had dropped to about 30% of the population, and most peasants were paying rent to their lord in cash rather than in service. So what might a peasant's life actually be like? I'm not going to pretend to you in this episode that the life of a peasant wasn't hard and often thankless. It was. Backbreaking physical labour meant many older peasants were riddled with arthritis and other physical problems later in their lives, and famine and war were constant fears that were recorded year after year in the chronicles, and the effects of this hard work show up in the skeletons of peasants when they're dug up from medieval cemeteries. Famine was particularly common in the years following the Norman Conquest, in fact, especially up here after the harrying of the north. Famine was a very common experience for a lot of peasants. 
but their lives were not as squalid as it's often assumed. Excavations in abandoned medieval villages, like Warren Percy in Yorkshire, which was owned by the Percys of Annick Castle fame, show not squalid mud huts, but a neat and well-ordered village of substantial multi-room houses. Contrary to popular belief, these houses were not jam-packed with huge extended families either. Most medieval people lived in a nuclear family that would be pretty recognisable today. Houses consisted of at least two rooms down below and an upstairs space similar to an attic, meaning that people did have a measure of privacy. Some of the big crook-built cottages, the classic black and white buildings that are often called Tudor style in the English countryside, have recently been carbon dated and found to date in many cases to the medieval period rather than to Tudor or Jacobean times, as used to be assumed. These probably are the remains of peasant houses. Nowadays, they go for a pretty penny. Excavations of these villages also reveal some of the personal items owned by the Villains, the Franklins, and the other peasants. These include glazed pots and jokes for hand-washing, often imported, oil lamps, pewter tableware, dice, musical instruments, locks, keys, and board games. It also reveals that their diet was a bit more varied than the never-ending gruel that is often imagined, and it shows a variety of vegetables, as well as pork and lamb, and that even in inland villages, fish was commonly eaten, showing that an effective trade network spread from the growing number of towns and out into the rural villages where these peasants lived. Inventories of the possessions of peasants are considerably rarer, but those that do exist mention things like brass pots, cupboards, chests, tablecloths, beds and mattresses, as well as both hemp and imported linen sheets, showing that people didn't just lie down on bundles of straw like their farm animals. Interestingly, a lot of the wooden furniture was made from wood imported from the Baltic or Scandinavia, which is still where most of our wood for furniture comes from. And again, it shows that peasants were, indirectly at least, plugged into the trade routes that we mention in some of our other episodes. So, while we might not exactly envy the lifestyle of peasants, it was far from being as horrific and as dark as is sometimes depicted. The average peasant lived in a substantial wooden cottage, lit with oil lamps, and had a warm bed to sleep in and a decent diet. In fact, the diet was probably better than many people's today in times of plenty, because it lacked anything in the way of processed food or sugar, and featured plenty of fresh vegetables and hearty wholemeal bread. One area where we might actually envy the medieval peasant is in their holiday entitlement. These days we're very lucky to live in Britain. Our employers are required by law to give at least 28 days of paid annual leave per year. But astonishingly, historian and economist Juliette Shaw estimates from surviving documents that medieval peasants got a very impressive 215 days of holiday every year. Personally, I suspect that she's actually overestimating, based purely on things like the number of saints' days in the calendar. But there were undoubtedly a lot of actual holy days when work stopped, and peasants definitely got more time off than you or I do. Not only that, but they weren't exactly being worked to the bone either. Although the work was highly physical, pre-modern working days seem to have actually been pretty leisurely. Before the invention of a sort of clock and factory work, an afternoon nap was considered pretty standard in an eight-hour working day. And in the winter, work was often stopped early by the dark, and a lot of your time would have been spent indoors doing maintenance and other jobs, but without much to actually occupy you. Of course, some times of year were particularly busy, at ploughing and harvest time especially. At those times, villains had to do what was known as boon work for their lord, to assist with getting the ground ready for spring planting, or to bring in the late summer harvest. But it was also the law that the lord had to lay on a feast for their villains on this occasion. 
Now, I'm sure a few employers still do lay on a good staff party and a slap-up meal every once in a while, but they certainly aren't required by law to do so. Now, I'd like to say that while everything I've said in here is based on the evidence we have available, I don't want it to give the impression that medieval peasants had a really easy life. We're trying to correct some of the common myths. I don't want to create a new myth that, you know, medieval peasants lived in some kind of paradise. The reason there were laws against things like binding and beating your villains was that a lot of lords did treat their peasants little better than cattle. In the early medieval period, famine was extremely common, so that every few years, if the harvest failed, you might find yourself rooting through the forest for nuts to grind into your flour and chewing on bark, or even, in some extreme cases mentioned in the chronicles, be reduced to cannibalism. Peasants were also frequently the target of rampaging armies up here in the north of England, as hitting the peasants, who did all the real work after all, was an effective form of economic warfare. For much of the 1300s, sheriffs who lived in Newcastle Castle complained to the king that they could not collect taxes from the people of Northumberland because the land was so wasted by the raids of the Scots that the people were destitute. And we see a definite shift from small farms in the highlands of Northumberland down into the valleys and to more defensible villages during this period. Nonetheless, the medieval peasant was not the ignorant, filthy individual so often seen in films and TV series. In fact, they were us, the great mass of working people who keep the country running but inevitably all but disappear from history. Only an occasional glimpse in quite obscure sources or archaeology now remains for us to get an idea of the lifestyles of our forebears, the peasants. So the next time you're watching a medieval television show or film all about kings and earls, queens, knights and noble ladies, why not spare a thought for the poor old peasants, who, after all, did all the real work anyway? In next week's episode, we're going to be stepping a little bit away from medieval myths, and we're going to be looking a bit at the trade routes around medieval Newcastle. Um, we're going to be looking at some of the goods that were brought into the port in Newcastle and that were traded in the marketplace. We're going to look at how these goods were used and produced and traded in medieval times. And you'll be happy to learn I have a special guest coming in for that, an expert on all things linen and flax, uh, Rosie Bristow. Castle Stories is a Newcastle Castle production. This week's host was David Silk. You can find out more about Castle Stories and about Newcastle Castle at newcastlecastle.co.uk